Hey everybody and welcome back to the Harmful Habits Podcast. Today we have a very special episode, our season 4 season finale. Today we'll be talking about race in the workplace, but before that, our good friend, Elevation Beats. So we had what two weeks off? More, I feel like. Is it more than two weeks? Two. It's just two. Mm-hmm. Feels like ages. There was some sickness going around. Um, first, I was not well, and then, secondly, Jamisa needed another mental health break. I had a mental health break. Oh, I needed a mental health break. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting started, today's episode is the last one in the season, right? Yeah. And we're going to do race in the workplace. Ooh, exciting. Quite frankly, I think there should only be one race in the workplace, but we'll discuss that as we move forward. I'm sure you will. There you go. <laughs> Amin, how was your week? Pretty good, pretty good. I have a dad joke today. Oh, goodness. Let's hear it. I'm pretty proud of this one. What did the janitor say when he jumped out the closet? Supplies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm going to Okay, that one. next season, we will do something different. No more dad jokes. All right, all right. Um, Jamisa, how was your Be week? Be creative. It's been good. Good, good. week. Mm-hmm. I thought we were being creative. No. <laughs> Would anyone like to ask me about my week? How was your week, Ben? wasn't great I've, oh, I've been having some marital issues again let's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hear your complaints I really wish I'd found someone a bit more reasonable to share my life with but here we are that's that's the only thing you have you, is a more reasonable wife you've been very difficult this week let's just uh, leave it at that what? As an example, and Amin can attest to this, oh, no. we had a meeting prior to the podcast no, today. No, 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 no. It was a very impromptu meeting uh, at like 10.30 okay, at, or 10, 11 o'clock. At you 10 told me to 30, be there. Jamisa, you and I were on the phone and you said, yep, I can be there at 11.40, not a problem. And what time did you show up? 11.45. No, 11.55. <laughs> I did not. You did. Amin, oh, my goodness. No comment. Okay. You know, if it means there's no comment, that means I was right. And then, I mean, when we challenged Jamisa on her being late, what did, who did she blame? I don't know. She blamed me for telling her while she was at the nail salon, even though I had no idea she was at the nail salon. <laughs> Somehow, that was my responsibility. Um, so, your wife now is unreasonable? A little bit. So, you would die for your wife? Would you allow her to be late to a meeting? No. No. That's gonna be a, it's going to be a matter. hard no. Delete to anything. Like mm. a minute late. And don't be stealing my TikTok messages. <laughs> Had to. Mm-hmm. No, Jamisa is not allowed to be tardy. And it's so funny, right? But we will. I not mean, allowed to be tardy. Jamisa, you're tardy to everything. Listen, what do you mean I not allowed to be tardy? I have time blindness. 
and I tried to work on it really hard. Is this where this becomes like mm-hmm. a psychological issue that I'm not allowed to talk about? Right. Now, tell me about timelineness. I'd like to learn more. We're not. We'll, that's, no, another, no, no, because, that's another episode. Because uh-uh, today we're doing race in the workplace and perhaps... First of all, we don't work together. You may want to talk to me about I don't race work at in the three work. trees. We don't see you. <laughs> anyway, I bet there's work environments out there where people have to deal with time blindness. So please share. It's like when I don't have a concept of like time. So <laughs> I'm serious. Like I struggle with like understanding like what, how like much how time it takes. Take. Yeah. To do something. So I may think like I can leave my office, go home, um, pick something up that I may have forgotten, come back to the office in 30 minutes. Like literally that, that is it's not going to work out. But in my mind, like I have like, I, I feel like I could do that. And I will try to execute that. I mean, do you have any time blindness? I have side piece blindness. What the hell? I didn't know I had a side. <laughs> I don't know what he's I talking about. I have no idea. <laughs> That's okay. 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 All right. Well, well, oh, I'm sure not by us. No, so, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those of you... <laughs> my god did you say his i think he said side piece blindness so those of you who are watching on tiktok feel free to drop questions into the live hopefully your fiance is not listening to this right now today's episode is (laughs) today's episode is the last one in the season oh i bet people got nervous right there where they heard it was the last one uh, there's probably everyone's anxiety went through the roof next season we're going to be getting into um the three trees of change and current events so we'll take a look at fun. current events as they emerge and process them through the three trees of change um and for those of you just tuning in and completely unsure what we do on this podcast um i think the easiest way to explain it is neuro spicy adventures in parenting social justice and generational healing would you agree Yes, I would. Jamisa brings the neuro, I bring the spicy. Is that merch? <laughs> oh, and we have merch now. Yeah. You can go to the Three Trees website, threetreescenterforchange.com, and uh, buy yourself some Harmful Habit Podcast merch. I think. We oh, we f- need to start wearing it. We need to start wrapping our merch. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, but the problem is, then people think I'm just, uh, what was the term Jennifer used the other day? Thirsty? A thirst? That I'm putting out thirst traps on social media. No, I don't think she said that you were putting out thirst traps, baby. I thought those were only on your OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> Subscriptions needed. Um, all right. Someone said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? Uh, I have no idea. I think it's Jamisa and Ben. <laughs> it's a little confusing. Similar aura. Right, there's people we can invite to join live, but we're not going to invite anyone to join us live, but feel free um, to just join us in the comments. Isis said, loving the outfits. These actually aren't the ones that you can buy, <laughs> although I do get a lot of questions about this lovely shirt. Um, but maybe she means on the uh, website. Maybe she's checking out the website right uh. now. Um, that was our good friend Isis who always stops by. So thank you for that. Thank you. All right, so now that we've lost all our listeners, let's get into the topic. So, Jamisa, are you familiar with the four stages of psychological safety in the workplace? No. 
We don't practice those things here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's self-evident. <laughs> so when people talk about race in the workplace, um, they typically, if they're interested in DEI work, they have someone such as ourselves come in and assess. And I think people are always curious, like, what do you assess for when you're looking at diversity, equity, inclusivity in the workplace? We said race in the workplace. We're going to expand it a little bit for this episode and talk about diversity, equity, inclusivity. Um, thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the um, likes. But um, I think people often get confused, like, what is it you're trying to assess? And so the main thing that we're looking to assess is the four, oh, we reached our goal. Thank you, those Thank of you, you who helped us towards our... I think you got to press that I button. I think it needs to reset it now. <laughs> We've got to get better technology. This is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so the four stages of psychological safety in a workplace are rock, paper, scissors. What's the fourth stage, Jamisa? I don't know. What is it? How does our CEO not know these things? I mean such change over here we're good <laughs> the fourth stage of, of uh, psychological safety in a workplace is transformative change mm. so on today's episode we're going to walk down um, some of these definitions and explain them and we'll also talk about just different issues that come up in the workplace as it applies to race or diversity equity inclusivity and maybe Jimmy so and I mean you can even share some of your experiences in the workplace. It's pretty hostile over here. I meant prior to here, jackass. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> All right. Because, um, Jamisa, you said you started your own business initially, right? Because you were just kind of tired of working with white people. Yeah, and just all of the politics that goes along with being in office. It's just a lot. Okay. Um, and so we can talk a little bit about that, too, as we move forward. So <laughs> you were tired of working with white people, so you decided to marry one. <laughs> Uh, those of you who are listening, just Amin and Ben are laughing at that one. All right. Oh, yeah, they hear no chuckle from me. Mm-mm. Yep. Mm-mm. It's crickets. How's being married to a Caucasian going? I don't know. Today, not so well. Not so good. Yeah. Rethinking that decision a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yep. All You've right. been on it since I walked through the door. Which was just five minutes prior to the show starting, in case anyone's wondering. So, the rock stage. Everyone ready to discuss the rock stage? Mm-hmm. And, Jimmy, so what does the rock stage look like, would you imagine? Um, I guess where there isn't an acknowledgement of change. So, someone isn't acknowledgement or there isn't a willingness to make a change. And so, think and about the work. nature of rocks, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just it's static. Mm-hmm. They're dead weight. Mm-hmm. And so when organizations are in the rock stage, it's everything you talked about. There's denial of any problems. Mm -hmm. And they're very uh, um, exclusionary. And so they tend to be one dominant culture, um, typically Caucasian. And that dominant culture um, sets the tone for the whole organization. Right. And if you're different from that culture at all, if you had different perspectives, different beliefs, different neurodiversity, et cetera, you're going to be excluded from that culture. Right. You'll be excluded from promotional opportunities. Um, you'll be excluded from just being valued. And so all of the values are kind of set around this idea of um, being part of that dominant work culture. It sounds uh, well to be obviously a very toxic work environment, right? Mm-hmm. Very cutthroat. 
But like denial with any type of change, if you were to challenge people on that in that workplace, you're going to get cussed. You're going to get what? Cussed at. Gonna, oh, because that because mm-hmm, people are in such a state of denial mm-hmm. um, that if you go in there and be like, "Hey, this is a super monolithic culture you guys got going on here," they're like, "No, it isn't. We've been doing this for years, and we do amazing and it's work." Worked well. Mm-hmm. So they tend to have a lot of narrative about why they're maintaining that type of culture. But to be honest, that's my favorite type of work culture to go into because it's so ripe for change. Hmm. Like, there's so much you can do with a work culture like that. But how difficult? Do you feel it is to get those rocks to start moving? Oh, good analogy, Jimmy. So I like that. Um, so how difficult is it for you when you're working with individuals to get those rocks to start moving? And it, it, I think some, it depends on the person, right? It depends mm-hmm. on if the person is able to absorb anything that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have some people that are just absolutely stagnant and it's not going to happen. And you have some people that are willing to, over time, I think, listen to someone else's perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, when I go into an organization, the first thing I'm looking at is are the CEO, the COO, people like that really on board. Right. And if they don't want any change. It's not going to happen, right? Yeah. And so sometimes you will. You'll get pulled in by like a team leader, a team leader who wants change to happen, but there's maybe three positions above them. Mm -hmm. And if those people don't even want to meet with you, if those people aren't interested in having those discussions, we tend not to engage in that kind of work. Right. um, Because it's going to be very difficult to make change happen. But if the CEO is on board, no matter how static the culture is, I think there's a lot of opportunity to really make change happen. Um, (laughs) And let's like when you're working with a client individually, you know, you may like, let's say someone comes to see you for marriage counseling, Jamisa, and they're like, hey, you know, what's this going to look like? And part of it is you telling them, well, you may not end this counseling married. Right. <laughs> like, we don't know what's going to change as you go through this process, but mm-hmm. you have to be open to all these different options. Right, right. And so I think it's very similar in that. So from the rock stage, we move into the paper stage. And the paper stage is just where people kind of start writing down ideas. Mm-hmm. I often kind of call this the potluck stage, too, because people tend to be having potlucks and then think they're doing something. <laughs> and oh, be, my gosh. You know what I mean, though? They'll be like, hey, we had a bring your food from your own culture potluck. We're, we're super diverse over here. And so there's this very transactional approach to change. And what I mean by transactional is people are kind of superficially attempting to validate the existence Absolutely. of people who, who are different. different. Mm-hmm. But nothing's really changing. Nothing below the surface is changing. It's all still managed by that dominant culture. Um, but we use the term paper stage because in any type of change, this is where planning is starting to happen. Right. People are having ideas, they're writing down ideas. Um, that kind of stuff. So it's just like a hodgepodge of just like all mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but nothing that is concrete that it turns into like some sort of policy for the office. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or change in the office. I mean, policy would be the planning stage mm-hmm. because you're setting new policy about things. You're setting new goals, but there's no actual action to get there. Mm-hmm. If you stay stuck in the policy stage, that's like you writing an amazing treatment plan for a client. And then we never execute it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so here we start to acknowledge or we start to hopefully engage employees in understanding headwinds and tailwinds. So headwinds are uh, pressures that are kind of holding certain people or certain employees back. Mm-hmm. And tailwinds are things that give a um, invisible benefit to certain employees. 
you can't okay. spot them, but they kind of help accelerate certain employees through promotions. And so like, like similarities to other mm-hmm. people in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, um, Amin and I have a lot of, and I mean, you can jump in and challenge this, but you and I have a lot of kind of similar um, analytical abilities. And so when we first met, when we started chatting, we immediately like clicked in a way of like, man, yeah, I'm super interested in this too. Bah, 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 bah. And so that's like a tailwind for Amin. Mm-hmm. It's going to help promote him through the organization. That you, maybe without even knowing, will consider him mm-hmm. over someone else because you know his ability. And very quickly, he went from entry level to entry level. <laughs> um, very quickly moved through those ranks because there's only two steps at three threes. <laughs> Um, but in companies that tends to be based around culture. Mm -hmm. So if you fit the dominant culture, you have this invisible tailwind that moves you forward. Mm -hmm. Headwinds, people are are very aware of. People are able to recognize. An example of a headwind might be like, um, you're left-handed, right, Jamisa? Yeah. When you went to college, how were the desks set up, like on the individual chairs? Right. They were set up for right-handed The auditorium and stuff, yeah, they were all set up for right. So you were probably like, son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. That's a headwind. Something set up for dominant culture, mm-hmm. and it creates a challenge for you that you then have to work around. Okay. But all the people who are right-handed, and, it is. and they won't even recognize it. Mm-hmm. They won't recognize the complications that creates for you. Well, they don't recognize. I see what you're saying, because when they go in to sit, like when we had to go into like the auditoriums for lectures, like they automatically sat down and didn't consider, like, you know, there's probably some left-handed people mm-hmm. in here that they're going to struggle. They don't have that same headwind. Ah. Uh, so it's not something they automatically think about. Mm-hmm. All right. So different people have different headwinds, different tailwinds, depending on the situation. Okay. And so in this paper stage, what we're really trying to do is get a, a sense of what headwinds and tailwinds are there for people. Mm-hmm. And is the um, CEO able to, you know, to recognize this and willing to recognize this and willing mm-hmm. to create change that comes from it? I have a great story about that um, when opportunity presents. Oh, no, no, go ahead. But now that you've announced it as a great story, it really needs to kind of... It's not great, but it's a really good story. A client shared, this client I haven't seen in, I don't think I've seen them in like four or five years, and they were sharing with me, um, they had since retired from this corporate job that they had, but they were sharing with me how they don't have any skills mm-hmm. in that particular setting. Like they it quickly moved up from entry level, but they honestly said, and being, they were candid that they should have stayed there, mm-hmm. or maybe went a step forward, but they like constantly moved up in the ranks within this corporation because they knew white male and they knew what to say, how to act. They talked about sports. They were able, they, they went in and found commonalities with management Mm -hmm. that may have been of the same level or people who were able to um, help them advance. And he's like, no one ever considered what his actual abilities were mm-hmm. because he had an assistant. He was able to get the assistant to do most of the, these things. And he just, he advanced and advanced and advanced within this organization. And I just found that fascinating. I mean, it's, he's just so candy. He's like, I know I should not. He's like, if I walked in now, he's like, and you know, just kind of where they are in their life. There's like, I would not get that job, but mm-hmm. I knew what to say in that moment. But it is, is that, is that tailwind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of these headwinds and tailwinds are kind of culturally based. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about when you and I go to buy cars, 
and they automatically give you a higher interest rate despite the fact we have the same credit. Mm-hmm. And like that would be an example of a headwind for Or you. an assumption of like, we need to see your credit, no, our mm-hmm. example, we need to see your credit score mm-hmm. if we go, go out to look for like a certain type of, uh, a brand new car versus like, we're going to put you in the used car, mm-hmm. you know, Al. And so you, you'll see a lot of that. And what is a headwind for you is probably going to be a tailwind for someone who's not you. Sure. So I get the tailwind of the, uh, the improved um, interest rate and you get the headwind of the higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. And so at this stage, in the paper stage, you're really just trying to see, can the CEO rock with this? Like, can the CEO understand, recognize this and is willing to do something about it? Like these different headwinds and tailwinds that exist mm-hmm. in this organization. And that's really where the work begins. Is like, okay, so let's let's get a sense of this. And then, as you talk to other levels of management, do they recognize these headwinds and tailwinds? Now, typically, when you say to someone who's getting a headwind why they're doing well in the company, what's going to be there? Even a tailwind. Sorry, a tailwind. Yeah, why they're getting because people will recognize the headwinds, right? Like if I'm like, hey, uh, Jimmy, so you noticed that these desks are set up for right-handed people? You can be like, yes. That, mm-hmm. but if I point out areas that you've naturally benefited without doing any work, what's no, going it's going to be hard to do that. And I think if anything, you may be resistant. Someone would be resistant to that, and you're not going to automatically look at like how this may be difficult or mm-hmm. will um, cause um, other people to make it will make it more difficult for other people to advance. Mm-hmm. So I think you become defensive. I think people become defensive to that because you're also taken away from their sense of what they've achieved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, like people who look like me often say stuff like, you just got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps because it gives them that sense of, I'm amazing. Because they I've worked achieved. so hard. And it's like, well, you may have worked hard. Mm-hmm. And no one, and I don't think we ever want to minimize that. But there are also other advantages that you had prior yeah, I, I to the let, hard work. I say let's minimize You said let's minimize Well, like, let, let's take the area we live in, for example. And you look around at these companies that do really well and you see how generational it is. Sure. And you see that it's even true. if the company itself isn't generational, how much privilege or how much tailwind was handed on mm-hmm. versus all the headwinds were removed and the parents or the grandparents were kind of slighted. I remember a friend of ours was talking about um, generational wealth mm-hmm. and the impact on the black community from the lack of generational wealth. Right. And so, for example, like people our age, we're not just caring for our children. We're no, we're caring for, for our, our parents, parents yeah. Whereas a lot of families that have had generational wealth, they, that does, they not don't have only to consider might they that. be making more, but they don't have to worry about caring for their parents. Absolutely. And yeah, so, I mean, I, I have countless examples, mm-hmm. obviously, of that. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. in medical school, half my class was uh, white-coated by their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. was a huge advantage. And I had a Korean-American. white-coated, you mean? They were given their doctoral white coat. Uh, Meaning their parent was also a doctor? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, sorry, I'm not very clear sometimes, but uh, as compared to, I had a Korean American friend who she slept in her car in college because she couldn't afford a place to stay. Mm-hmm. She was working like three jobs throughout all of school. Mm-hmm. She couldn't join medical school immediately because she needed to get her finances in order to, to be able to move to a different place where there was a medical school. And she, yeah, she really worked to be there. Everyone else, they kind of were given, a, hey, just do this and you'll be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a place to say there was someone that was going to pay if they had to pay for tuition for med school. Yeah. Yeah. And what we often find is that when you tell stories like Amin just told, you're going to have at least one person who looks like me say, well, I was really poor growing up, too. 
And so they had the headwind of growing up poor, but they didn't have the other multiple tailwinds of growing up as a minority. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important not just to tie it into one headwind, but really get an understanding of the different influences. All the different yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the paper stages. You start to get a real sense of what's happening in this organization. Well, let me ask you a question. As you go into various organizations. You see how rude that was, I mean? I said, let me ask you a question. You didn't wait for my response. I'm not consenting to this question. No, I'm going to ask anyways. I withhold my <laughs> consent. So as you go into these workplaces and you start with that, the paper stage, right? And mm. we talked about the headwind and the tailwind. Like that seems like that takes so, in my, if I'm going in and I'm, I'm doing this, like that would take so much work. Mm -hmm. like, I think that in my mind, that would take months of work of working with upper management mm -hmm. to get them to see, because then at that point, it becomes a trickling down effect. Mm -hmm. But do you see that? Or do you think people can quickly identify with this in upper management can quickly identify like, yeah, this is problematic. And I see how this mm -hmm. would um, would impact everyone else in the, in the organization. And I think that's the difference between transformative change and transactional change, right? Mm -hmm. Is transformative change does take years. Mm -hmm. And transactional change is you have a pot like you're like, oh, look at what we're doing. You know, a one hour pot like. Right. And it's not, but then it go, kind of goes back. Mm -hmm. uh, under beneath mm -hmm. that surface is all the very same things mm -hmm. that nothing's changed. So the amount of time that people spend in this um, will reflect, I think, how successful it is. The companies that seem to do really well with this integrate it into the overall organizational functioning and organizational goals. Okay. And so it's not just like a side prod, uh, project. It becomes part of who they are and how they want to move forward. So an example of that might be like an organization that um, all the clientele looks the same as the employees, that looks the same as the board members. Mm -hmm. And they recognize like one of the ways we could increase our customer base is by understanding what needs we're not meeting. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we're going to have to increase our diversity. And this is where all that research comes um, that supports why diversity is so important in organizations if you want to survive. What I think would be interesting, though, is that when you start moving through the paper, rock, scissors, is that though there are so many people who are not in upper management that have worked in organizations that have benefited them, right? So it's a lot of that tailwind. Mm -hmm. And if organizations start making changes, it is going to impact those people, mm -hmm. right? And like how they either are able to adjust to that or they're like, screw all of this. This is not to my advantage anymore. You see the resistance yeah, out. and they become resistant to it. But in, and I'm sure in some cases, leave the organization mm -hmm. because it is of not, it's not an advantage to them. Everyone is on the same playing field. And I think one of my strengths, I think this is almost sound comical, but I don't necessarily mean it that way, is like I don't really care what people think. Because when you go into organizations like this, you face so much anger mm -hmm. and you face so much hatred. So you go in kind of know, with that expectation. That the resistance. Because you, what you're basically doing is forcing changes and the way that people see the world and the way that people see themselves. Mm -hmm. And so the level of defensiveness you're going to encounter is going to be high. Okay. And when people are angry, they want someone to blame, right? You see this in, in your oh, absolutely. practice yeah. all the time. Especially with couples. And I think that's why working with sex offenders for so long and working with domestic violence offenders for so long has been helpful in this area. Because you're just kind of used to that resistance. Mm -hmm. And so part of you has to be aligned with the team, with the team leaders who are, who are creating the change to explain that to them. Like, people are not going to like this. Right. If you have a very monolithic culture and we're telling them, hey, we're about to shake this up and we're shifting our organizational goals to include these goals and this is how we're going to move forward, people are not going to like it. So you're going to need some strong leaders 
who are comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. With the pushback. Su- mm-hmm. And it might be neurodiversity, but part of me is always so surprised how influenced people are by other people's opinions. Oh, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole nother, that's a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so y- you have to almost prep them for that. Mm-hmm. Like as we get to the scissors stage, as we start to cut some old things out and replace some old things, um, you're going to see a lot of resistance. And part of it for me is like, let's set the new tone and the people who need to leave are naturally going to leave. But this goes back to previous episodes where we talk about when people talk about change and they really want to change just mm. in their lives about um, being uh, an ally or being more mm. aware of other cultures um, and diversity, but that with them, they have to cut a lot of people out, mm. right? So a lot of people have to leave their lives. And so I would imagine with an organization, a lot of that happens as well. So remember when you used to smoke a lot of crack cocaine and um, you had a certain peer group and then when Who are, you, you, are you talking to like a, a make-believe person? And then when you stopped smoking crack cocaine, um, you had to change your friend group. Yeah. Very similar to that. Now I just Very hang out with people that. who drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> My this is why we group. have to clarify that Jimmy's had never had a, mm-hmm. <laughs> a cocaine issue. Might be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was powder cocaine. And it, now it's wine. It we'll wasn't it as it goes powder to. cocaine either. <laughs> I know. It, I forgot that people said that when we talk that you are saying it in such a way that it sounds like it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have no addiction issues, and I know I have even referenced wine. I don't have an addiction to wine. Go ahead. Well, currently <laughs> under assessment, but yes. But oh my god! You see this with addiction behaviors, right? Like they're addicted to a certain behavior, and their friend group builds and develops around that behavior. Mm-hmm. And then if they quit that behavior, they then have to kind of look at their friend group and be like. Half of their friend group is going to leave anyway because they're not going to enjoy spending time with that person anymore. But, and I guess let me go back again about like when you have these – like that's for a lot of organizations. It's, these are big changes. But it, re, it requires people to actually think about the changes at work outside of work and about mm-hmm. their lives individually, who they are. Because, you know, in my opinion, I don't know how much you actually can compartmentalize those things at work. Mm-hmm. The, to switch on at work and say, I'm going to be more open-minded. And then you go back to your home and the people that you engage with are, are the opposite of what and your organization idea, is doing. Um, sorry. Uh, this idea of DEI has been so politicized too, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it, despite all the research that shows how much more successful organizations are when they incorporate DEI goals, you see this politicizing of it. So think about half your workforce that may adhere to those political beliefs and seize these things as a regression. Of course they're going to like, they're going to have pushback because it, it, it questions everything about who they are. And then if you look at, so you've got this whole organization that's monolithic, it's board members mm-hmm. are the same, it's employees are the same. So in order to create change, all that stuff's going to have to shift. Mm-hmm. And typically these are the people who've had a lot of influence on in the community. Sure. And so you start seeing how, and so I've been, I've, had the opportunity to work with some amazing CEOs who are just like, F- it. like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And let's let things lie where they end up mm-hmm. lying. But you have to have leaders who are strong enough to kind of say, I recognize what I may lose here. And I'm willing to give this a try because of the benefit I see in it. Yeah. And the, the humanity I see in it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. There was an example I saw in the news just two days ago, uh, ESPN gave a female minority uh, NFL analyst one of the biggest contracts they have. They were paying her $1.7 million a year. And all the responses, she's never played a game of football in her life. This is who they have mm-hmm. hired on. Oh, my God. I'm so done with the woke agenda at ESPN. I'm going to find my sports news elsewhere. 
like yeah, like you said, it goes against everything they mm-hmm. believe in, how they see these things mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. And other people would list a number of white men that never mm-hmm. played football, that have coaching exactly. positions, that have all these kinds of positions. And she's actually a phenomenal analyst. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, and think it's about crazy. the people under her that are working under her. That's probably like, screw this. I'm going to go work for another, mm-hmm. you know, someplace else. And it wouldn't have mattered if she had played football. It would have been something else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It exactly. would always be something to say, mm-hmm. this person's different from the group that I like to listen mm-hmm. to. Therefore, mm-hmm. I don't want change to occur. Yes. And so that's what you have to do in these organizations. You have to take this whole organization and say, hey, we're going to go a different direction. Yeah. And a bunch of people are like, uh-uh. I was really comfortable with the direction that we were going. Like, even though you're facing, like, financial ruin, yep, I'm good with this direction. Thank you. And just like with individuals who will, you know, use substances until they die or go to prison, you will see organizations mm-hmm. stay on the same path mm-hmm. until they collapse. Well, it's the comfort, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, I mean, it's all the things that we talked about. Like, Pete, as the, as the world shifts and, like, no one wants to shift with it. Mm-hmm. So people individually don't want to make the mind shift. Then the organizations are the exact same way. They're like, we're not going to change at all. So then we get into the scissors stage. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, we got sound effects, me? No, we do not. Not we any dun-dun-duns. I have to what upload we have? No, let, we have let, things hear, that would not let's hear be... Let's a little something. We can't hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, I can't... The you TikTok can't live hear. can't hear it either. No. Never no, they mind. can't. That's why I kind of dubbed a little bit of it. <laughs> All right. So, um, in the scissors stage, that's where you start cutting out parts of the journey or parts of the organization that are not helpful moving towards... Um, where you're trying to head. Mm-hmm. So if it's individual change, you're cutting out old behaviors and replacing them with new behaviors. In this part, you're cutting out kind of old practices, old policies, old pressures, old tailwinds, old headwinds. And it's really transformational. Because yeah. this is where you're going to see all, like when people who are in the transactional type of change, you're going to be like, well, I didn't know I'd actually have to change some stuff. Right. I didn't know that um, I wouldn't be able to work with Johnny anymore, who I've worked with since we were in kindergarten and all this kind of stuff. And you're really kind of pushing the organization to shape itself, to take on the shape that it's hoping to achieve Mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, just like in the game of rock, paper, scissors, um, if you're not careful, this is where it moves straight back into denial. It goes straight back into the rock phase if you're not careful. Is it because it's too, the change is so mm-hmm. big that mm-hmm. every, no one likes it? And it's, and it's a further rock back. stage now because they're going to say, well, we tried that before and it didn't work. So we go back to default. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have to be very careful here that as you move into this scissors stage that you learn how that rock stage is going to reemerge. And that's what creates that fourth stage, a transformational change where you just start cycling through those earlier mm-hmm. stages. So recognizing that once these changes have been made, and maybe the the scissor stage has been successful to some degree, mm-hmm. that you don't go back to Mm-mm. that you go back and know the, yeah, how that, you're going to keep moving, but that it will those that you'll cycle through mm-hmm. depending on what the mm-hmm. circumstance is. So you're like, oh, all our employees quit <laughs> because of our changes. And that's going to be a pull to go back to the old mm-hmm. ways to hire the same employees. Mm-hmm. I see. And then, so let's say you're desperate. Because you got to take care of the work that's present. So you hire people who are very similar to your old employees and you're stuck in the same cycle again. Got it. Versus how do we used to hire? How do we want to change that? And so like, well, we used to hire through word of mouth, which is why they have a monolithic mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Versus, okay, how do we hire differently? Let's start hiring in this market over here. Let's start hiring up here. As we go through the interview process, let's shift up our questions. 
are our questions, are our interview questions, our interview process really um, valid in terms of generating the types of candidates that we want? And so it's this really interesting process, I think, where you just start shaping all this type of stuff. Sure. So that transformational change is that fourth stage where you're just cycling through the rock, the paper, the scissors. And as leaders, you're ready for all of those. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, here's some rock. Here's how we move it to paper. Here's how we move it to scissors. You don't get caught in needing things to stay the same. If you get addicted to the scissors stage, you're going to fall back into rock very quickly. Okay. You have to kind of be ready for those three. And I think you see this, right? Like, let's say you have someone who's been trying to quit alcohol and they finally quit alcohol and they think their life's going to be perfect mm -hmm. now. Oh, yeah. I'm dealing with something like that now. And it's like, nope, let's be cautious. Let's we be cautious. It, mean? <laughs> don't, don't join me into this. <laughs> But yeah, so the client is like, you know, I'm just like, let's just be cautious about how things are at your house because that doesn't mean that it's all, everything's okay. There's yeah. going to be another challenge of mm -hmm. And so you, mm -hmm. it's not so much the challenge has been solved. It's like your uh, flexibility, your approach to challenge has changed. Right. So if I say, like I gave up alcohol a few months ago, right, just to try that out and be sober curious. And if I'm like, okay, now that I'm not drinking, there should never be any issues in this or this or this. Mm -hmm. And when those issues emerge, if I'm not careful, I'm like, screw it. it wasn't I'm just going to go right mm -hmm. back. Yeah. And you go right back to the same behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really interesting for people to just sort of approach things like, I'm going to learn to live skillfully. Or I'm going to create a skillful work environment right. so that when problems emerge, I can fluidly cycle through rock, paper, scissors without there being an issue. Mm -hmm. So let's go back real quick. I mean, think of like the worst work environment you've been in outside of Three Trees, of course. Okay. Not Three Trees, I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're there. <laughs> Were they in the rock stage? Yes. And tell us a little bit about that. What did that look like? It was very limiting who they would allow to get to certain steps. So mm -hmm. they would encourage diversity at certain levels. In a very kind of transactional way. In a super transactional way because they would talk about it like it was a favor. They would mm -hmm. talk about it like it was a great thing that they were doing. But you, would, you were met with immediate resistance even if you tried to just apply the next level up. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, why do you think you're qualified for this? Here's all the numbers that I have that would indicate I am qualified. Well, actually, you need this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're looking outside for this type of position. Mm -hmm. And then you'd ask why, and you'd be met with qualifications that don't even make sense. Mm -hmm. Did they have a very inflated view of themselves? Yes. Like, this, they were at an untouchable position. How could you even consider being kind of an equal here? And, mm -hmm. I, and you know me, I came with data. <laughs> like, I came with reports. I was like, so the next person at my position is doing three times less work. Mm -hmm. Did it feel like gaslighting a lot of times? Mm -hmm. and, and they would even like nod yes and be like, we'll see what we could do, whatever. And the end of the week, and, and this was actually the week before I started applying elsewhere, the end of the week, they send an email to everybody that was like, if you're at this position, you're supposed to be doing well here and please don't apply elsewhere. We're not looking to hire other places. We're not trying to promote. We're not trying to do anything. Thank you for the work that you do, whatever. It felt directed at me, but they sent it to everybody at the end of that week. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jimmy? So you've been a part of one of those working by Um, I'm sure I have. I think, and I think a lot of it is just like you said, just these political things, like just very heavy on the politics and like there wasn't any room outside of that. So it's constantly referring back to these policies, constantly referring back to these policies, but the poli policies were established, like you said, from a very monolithic perspective. 
And there's just no awareness Mm-mm. of how many. Oh, no, because it's like, look through here on policy, blah, blah, blah. It says this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever noticed it as a white guy going through different workplaces? I think I'm like slightly ashamed to say I think I very much fell into not being aware of the tailwinds mm-hmm. I received and not being aware of the headwinds that other people had early on in my professional life. And um, remember we talked about the mouse experiment, and I'll just repeat it for those who um, who didn't listen to the episode. But basically, they took these mice, and um, <laughs> they they shocked some of them in basically in the submission. And these mice became very afraid to touch this lever, a lever that would open a gate for them to walk through. They took these other mice that had never been shocked, and those mice would naturally touch the lever, go through, and receive the mm-hmm. food. And so the mice who had never been shocked gained confidence <laughs> in touching levers as though they'd done something special right? without realizing that it was just because they weren't shocked. Then they took the same mice and they dropped them into water and the mice that had been shocked over and over again gave up and just drowned. Mm-hmm. And the mice that had gained confidence they would, were, swim, yeah. would swim to, to safety. And it's such an interesting study around white privilege. And how when you kind of receive all these tailwinds, you gain confidence in that it's you, mm-hmm. which then kind of causes you to, <laughs> to take advantage mm-hmm. of those tailwinds. And, and take those yourself. risks, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because you've never had to deal with the pain mm-hmm. of not succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, even, and that confidence it creates. Yeah, and like you were saying, like how, um, like growing for myself, I am not... Like, I have to take care of my mom, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a situation of like, so is we're taking care of our family, but I have to go back and take care of a generation prior to me. And so the possibilities of me taking risks in my life mm-hmm. are too high. Like, I'm not going to, there are certain things I'm just simply not going to do because it's not just me. It's not just our household, but it's other people that would be impacted. Where I think you have someone who had more sim- a privileged um, lifestyle, like they would be like, yeah, I'm going to take this crazy risk because who else is only going to impact me? And even if it did impact them, someone else would be able to help them out. So those of you wondering why Jamisa's OnlyFans account was short-lived, you now know why. <laughs> Too bit, much of a risk. A bit risk-averse. Yeah. Um, however, Amin and my OnlyFans account is still going strong. Always. Mm-hmm. If you like men in caveman suits. 50% off in September. Oh, God. <laughs> Clothing or price? All of it. <laughs> Um, and so I, I think when you talk to people who don't look like me, they're so aware of these headwinds. They're so aware mm-hmm. of these tailwinds. A lot of my work ends up being with white males trying to help them understand this stuff and work through their denial. Mm-hmm. And you know how we are? Like the minute you imply in any way that they didn't get to the position they're at strictly on their own. Um, no, it is all. They are offended because um, I think we, in terms of being white males, are some of the emotionally fragile people out there because we haven't had to deal with these same headwinds, right? And so we haven't learned the resilience that other people have naturally just had to, mm-hmm. um, for for bad reasons, but other people have kind of naturally had to develop. Yeah. And so going back to the question, I don't know if I was sensitive enough to it early on. I think I was very much kind of bored into that, like, wow, I'm really moving forward here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it spent a lot of time hanging out with close friends, 
hanging out um, with family members through, you know, getting married to Jamisa to really have that strong insight around the types of headwinds and tailwinds that people have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, I, think I can't see because I have my glasses on. Thinking about my previous life, this is so accurate. Oh, previous job, sorry, not previous life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, and I, I think the person who's saying that has probably had to deal um, with a lot of kind of the gender issues mm-hmm. that come up with this. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes when I'm working with female CEOs, one of the first things we start with is how they're communicating because they've been traumatized about communicating directly. Because oh, with uh, apologies. Mm-hmm. Like, can you please? I'm sorry to bother you. If... It's hard because even when I send emails now, I'm just like adding to myself. I'm like, mm-hmm. what would what would Ben tell me how to how to word this email? As a, can you please do this? Mm-hmm. You know, I you know, can you please send me this information? And so we we spend a lot of time saying, okay, instead of emailing it this way, you know, write it this way. And mm-hmm. if I do that, people are going to flip out mm-hmm. because that's how we respond to women. Like if a male uses an assertive tone, it's like, wow, he's so confident. What a great leader. And if a female uses the same assertive tone, all of a sudden she's being this and she's being that. Right. And then if you take, you know, apply another level of intersectionality on top of that, take like a black female sending that same message and it just gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Not the message, of course, but the response. Right. To it. Right. Right. Any questions so far? So, I mean... Do you think you have a fairly good uh, our environment at Three Trees? We're actually having a meeting yeah, after the podcast is, mm-hmm. for me to discuss some of his concerns with the CEO. <laughs> oh, really? We're quite diverse. <laughs> we had a meeting at 1140, um, which you showed up late for. And so Amin and I talked about some of his grievances that we'll be presenting to you. Whatever. Yeah, you, you left me to vent. Big mistake. Not a good idea. <laughs> really, is this how you guys are going to talk to me? Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Jamise is becoming emotional again. I mean, <laughs> sorry, that's way sexist. <laughs> All right, so moving forward, next season, we're going to start getting into current events in Three Cheese, right? We're going to look at current events or current headlines in the newspapers, and we're going to process them through the Three Trees of Change, which is learning to feel safe, um, learning to see clearly. And uh, learning to act skillfully. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a look at skillful behavior, unskillful behavior, and then kind of review the emotions. We'll and the review cognitive your behaviors, Ben, as if you've acted skillfully or unskillfully. I think that's a great idea. Week. We got told to leave the CEO alone. Thank um, you. We, <laughs> whoever it is, I'm sorry, I, I don't have my glasses on, I can't see. We also got told this is so accurate. Um, this person's constantly editing themselves, and it is exhausting. Mm hmm. So we're going to keep talking about all these issues. We're going to keep talking about race next season. We're going to keep talking about neurodiversity. We're going to keep talking about parenting. But we're kind of going to combine them all and talk about current headlines, but also current headlines in our own lives. Absolutely. Um, things that, um, despite Jamisa being his famous issues, that may not be present in People Magazine, um, but oh are big events to us. Anything else? I think that's it. Thank I you hope, all for listening. Hope everyone has a great week. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Sorry for the time off that Jamisa took. Thank you.